Good morning, church. Today we're going to be introducing a new series uh, talking about covenant. And um, I get the privilege of introducing the topic. And uh, I was excited and I put together the teaching and I was bored. And it's not often that when I come up to preach that I'm excited about it. But today I am excited about introducing covenant. And today what I'd like to do, hopefully what I'm going to do is tell you what I'm going to say and then I'm going to say it and then I'm going to tell you what I said. Okay? And and so hopefully what I hope to accomplish today is to build into you and, and as an introduction the importance of covenant, especially godly covenants, and the importance of covenant to you personally in your everyday walk with Jesus. And that's why I'm excited this morning. So generally, while there's a lot that can be said about covenant, and in specific, a lot that can be said about biblical covenant, that is covenants between God and man recorded in the scripture, I just want to take a broad overview of the concept of covenants and what they mean to us, especially biblical covenants. So what is a covenant? Well, basically, I'm ahead of myself. Don't go yet. Sorry. So what is a covenant? Basically, it's an agreement, a solemn agreement between two or more parties in which each member or each party to the covenant agrees to do certain things as a solemn oath and promise. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines solemn as seriousness, impressing or adapting, adapted to impress, seriousness, gravity, reverence, or soberness. Solemn is an important thing. And something interesting we're going to find out is that there's a difference between contracts and covenants and that while contracts can and are broken, covenants are indissoluble. They cannot be broken. Oh, we can fail. But the covenant cannot be broken. Why is covenant important? Why am I excited about it? Because covenant is a way in which God has given us to understand relationship with himself and how to live in relationship with himself. Basically, God makes promises to us and in in return, he expects us to fulfill promises that are or duties that he has given to us. One of the earlier covenants is one that God made with Noah. God said, I will never again destroy the land with water. He never has and he never will. Because a covenant is God's yes and amen to what he has said. Another covenant with Abraham. Abraham would become the father of many nations. 
His descendants would be more than the stars or the sands in the sea. And especially through the new covenant, we are all children of Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses. He would take the people to the promised land. And while Moses didn't quite make it over the river, the people did. God kept his covenant. God is a covenant-keeping God. And that is what is exciting. You know, in um, Isaiah 53, 5, it says, And by his stripes we are healed. And again, in 1 Peter 2, 24, By Jesus' stripes we were healed of all of our diseases. That is a covenant. That is God's yes and amen. You don't have to worry or think about does God want to heal me? He's all, he has not already said he wants to. He has said he will do it. In fact, he said he has done it. It's over. It's done. By his stripes, we were healed. It's a God's solemn covenant to us. Isn't that exciting? That is exciting to me that when I have a need for healing, I have a God who is faithful, whose yes is yes, and who's already said yes. So today we're going to take a broad overview of covenant, what it is, its purpose, and why biblical covenant is so important to us. Now I'm going to say, so why study covenant? As we begin our study, especially on biblical covenant, I want to share with you, I already did that, I'm sorry. Um, Get back to where I was. We don't have covenant-making ceremonies today too much. We don't really understand what covenant is. Probably the closest thing we have to covenant today is the marriage ceremony. Most of us, other than that, are not familiar with what covenants are. So in talking about covenant, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I'd like to outline the basic steps of a Galean wedding. And the first is a betrothal. The father of the bridegroom goes to the father of the bride he selected for his son. They get together. They talk. If both are agreeable, the father of the bridegroom offers a dowry to the father of the bride. Now, we might be, have the wrong sense of dowry. Dowry was not purchasing the bride. Dowry was, in a sense, an insurance policy that if the bridegroom divorced her or died before she died, that she would be financially taken care of. That was the purpose of the dowry. So, the bride, so if everything was agreed upon, upon, the bridegroom would then offer the bride a ring, a gift, and he would drink from a cup and offer the cup of wine to the bride. If she accepted, she would drink from the same cup 
the covenant would be sealed and they would be considered legally married, although they were called betrothed. And they didn't get the full benefits of marriage. She still lived in her father's house. He still lived in his father's house. And there was a time of preparation for the wedding ceremony or feast. So the bride, she'd get together her attendants, all the clothes they were going to wear. You know how women plan weddings. And the bridegroom, he would go to his father's house and he would build on additional rooms to his father's house where he and his bride would live. Now, nobody knew when the wedding would be except the father of the bridegroom. When he saw that all was prepared and he was ready, he would wake up his son usually at night. Well, if you're going to wake him up, I guess it's at night. And say, go get your bride. And so the bridegroom would assemble his uh, uh, entourage. They would go down the streets making lots of noise, notifying everybody that they were going to the wedding. And he would blow outside the house, he would blow the shofar to notify the bridegroom that she was to come with her, with her bridesmaids and her family. And then they'd go back down, back to their house, to the bridegroom's house, celebrating, blowing the chauffeur, making all kinds of noise. People would come into the streets to go to the wedding. When they got to the bridegroom's house, he would take his bride into the new rooms that he prepared, and there they would consummate the wedding. And then there was seven days of party. I like those kinds of weddings. Now, I've left out some details and a few steps, but the important thing that I want to make here is the idea of covenant. Something of value, the dowry, was given in exchange for a person, the bride. Now, I kind of already defined covenant, but another uh, definition is a solemn agreement, a contract drawn up by deed. However, a covenant and a contract are not exactly the same thing. A contract is for an exchange of services. A covenant is for an exchange of persons. That's why in the wedding, the bride accepts the groom, the groom, the groom accepts the bride, they become one. It's an exchange of persons. And this is very important because in every covenant that God makes, there is an exchange of persons. God covenants, covenants himself to join with us to accomplish his good pleasure that benefits us. A biblical covenant, then, is an agreement which brings about a relationship of commitment between God and his people. So practically speaking, a biblical covenant is a partnership between God and man, working alongside or with one another, where God makes promises and generally in exchange asks us to fulfill certain commitments. Cool. So what's the purpose of these covenants? 
Thomas R. Schreiner writes, The covenants are crucial because they are a backbone of the storyline of the Bible. The Bible is not a random collection of laws, moral principles, or stories. It is a story that goes somewhere. It is a story of redemption, the story of God's kingdom. And the story unfolds and advances through the covenants God made with his people. So one reason or one purpose for covenant is to help us to understand God's word. It's like the skeleton on which the rest of the word rests. David Kreuter gave us an excellent explanation of the purpose of biblical covenants last Sunday, and I'd like to play a short clip from that sermon. The law is given in the context of the fact that now God is going to dwell with his people, and they need to know what does it like to have a relationship where he is right there with them. How do you behave with the creator of the universe living next door to you. What does that look like? How are you going to proceed with that? So God's presence is now in their midst. And that means that we have to understand the holiness of God. And if you go into Leviticus, it's this constant mantra of be holy because I am holy. Do this because I am holy. It is teaching the people what God is like and how they are to live, to be like him, to know what that relationship looks like. So we said one purpose of covenant was that it kind of basically outlines the story of the Bible. Another purpose of covenant is for us to understand proper relationship with God. If I went to Washington, D.C. and were invited into the White House to meet the president, whoever he might be, how would I act? What are the proper ways of relating to the president? Or maybe even more so if I went someplace to like Britain, England, and there met the queen. How would I act? I have no idea what to do. I've never met a queen. I've never been among royalty. I need somebody, something to tell me what, how I need to relate to other people. When God's presence comes into our lives, we need something to tell us how to relate to God. And that was one of the purposes of God's covenant. It was to help man to know how to live in God's presence, to know what it is like to have relationship with God. And it was to demonstrate to man who God is and how to relate to him. I kind of said the same thing four times. One of the purposes of covenant is to teach us how to live in relationship with God. Now, biblical covenants are comprised of conditional promises made by God, by, made by, to humanity by God as revealed in Scripture. And depending on one's definition of covenant, there are many covenants in the Bible, 
most of them between nations and or men. The number of covenants between God and man are considerably fewer. And while there are many covenants in the new covenant, covenant, new covenants, let's try that again. While there are many biblical covenants made by God to man in the scriptures, not a one of them did away with the previous one. They built on each other. There is no covenant where God says, forget the last covenant. We're going to do this covenant. Even the new covenant, which was the last covenant, even the new covenant, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the old covenant, but rather to fulfill it. So the covenants, they build on each other. If you came and told me all the things I had to do to relate to the Queen of England, I would not remember them. Yeah, they have to be taught in steps. I have to remember the first three before I can remember the next three. And the older I get, maybe it's the next two. Now, there are some better known covenants in the scripture, which I'm sure we're going to look at as we go forward. I have some of them in your notes, but please don't look at them right now. Look at them later if you would, please. Why is biblical covenant important? Because covenant makes fellowship possible with God. If I don't know how to relate to God, how do I relate to him? If I don't know how to fellowship with God, how do I fellowship with him? But more importantly, what happens when I don't live up to my commitment in a covenant with God? In which of the covenants between God and man was man faithful to fulfill their part? None. Absolutely none. We broke every covenant. It can't be broken. But we failed to meet the conditions of every covenant God ever gave us. Follow-up question. In which of the covenants that God gave us did God fail to do his part? Not a one. He still, even when we did not fulfill our part, he fulfilled his part. What a gracious God. And when we look at the last covenant, the new covenant, it's very interesting because there's only one requirement put on us and all the rest are on God. We simply have to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he took our place, took our punishment in our place to satisfy God's wrath against us. And when we believe that, Fellowship is restored between us and God. That's the only thing in the new covenant that God requires is that we believe. And so when I'm in my old man and I sin with Paul, 
Like Paul, I can say it's no longer I that sin, because I'm a new creature in Christ. It's sin in me, in my old man. Now, did I sin? Oh, yes, I did. Did I break the covenant with God? No, I did not. Because my requirement in the covenant covenant is to believe Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he would do and did what what the resurrection proved he did. That's my requirement, the only requirement. So when the devil comes and says, "Eh, you failed, you'll fail every time, you'll never be good enough for God. He's right. I did fail, I will fail again, and I will never in my own Righteousness be good enough for God. But my rebuttal to him is, <laughs> praise God, Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. His blood washed me clean of my unrighteousness. And I am fit. I do have God's acceptance. I am good enough for God because Jesus died and suffered to make me good enough for God. And to me, that is exciting news. To me, I can lift my head up high regardless of what's in my past. To me, I can rejoice in the God of my salvation because He is the one that saved me. I didn't do it. He did it. And when he asks me to do anything by his spirit, I have the confidence that I can do all things through Jesus Christ because God said it. It's part of that new covenant. It's yes and amen. I am able. God said I'm more than. He has given me more than enough to do all that he has asked of me. And that's the importance of covenant. Whether we fail at one point or another, God never fails. God never breaks his covenant with us. So covenant should matter to us because the last one involves us. Through the new covenant, we can have a personal relationship with God. I was talking to my son Peter about this the other day, trying to figure out how to make this not so boring as it was when I first started. And he said the following, In the old covenant, man never upholds his end of the covenant, yet God always seems to uphold his end, regardless of the fact that he does not have to. Why would that be, do you suppose? I'm breaking away here for a minute. Why would that be? It's because he loves you so much. That's why it is. He loves you so much that he's still going to uphold his covenant even when you disappoint him. Isn't that how it is with your children? I saw a picture of my grandson Elliot the other day climbing a bookcase. His dad's quote was, so it begins. 
I guess that could be a little bit disappointing because now you've got to keep a much closer eye on him. He's, he's growing. He's learning, right? He's going he's to be more of a handful now, right? But that doesn't mean you stop loving him or being excited for him. And that's how God is with us. When we disappoint, he still loves us. Therefore, he still keeps up, upholds his end of the co- uh, covenant even when he doesn't have to. In the new covenant, we fail to uphold our end of the covenant. Peter again. In the new covenant, we fail to uphold our end of the covenant all the time, and yet he still stands at the door knocking, asking us to let him inside. I think of Revelation, uh, I think it's four, I might be a little off, but where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That wasn't written to unbelievers. That was written to the church. When we disappoint, when we feel disappointing to God, he's right there. Open up your heart, let me back in. Open the door. I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. Now this is the main point, Peter says, that even though there are billions of people who have broken God's heart, he turns around as soon as he has pushed out the door and starts knocking to say, Hello, are you there? Would it be all right if I could come in and dwell with you? Just as in the old covenants, men were unfaithful, but God was still faithful. And so in the new covenant, even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful because he loves us so much. I'd like to repeat that. I think that's important. Just as in the old covenant, men were unfaithful, but God was still faithful. And so in the new covenant, we are unfaithful, but God remains faithful because he loves us so much. This is the importance of God's covenant with us, covenants with us. One builds on another until we get to the last covenant, the new covenant, that fulfills all the old covenants and gives us a way to live in relationship with God. So as we look at covenants, we're going to discover that God always operated with humanity under certain covenants. The significance for that is huge because one can only have a relationship with God if one is party to that covenant. Which is why, and I I believe all of you here have a personal relationship with God, but that's why it is so important that people do have a personal relationship with God. And that's why it's so important we go out and tell them how important it is that they have a personal relationship with God. Because if they don't have a personal relationship with God, they're not part of the covenant and they're not recipients of the promise of eternal life with God in heaven. The new covenant is the culmination of God's saving work in his people and his promise to make an everlasting covenant with his people. 
in which he will write his law on our hearts and bring complete forgiveness of sin. He will put his spirit in us to empower us to love and obey his commands. And that's why we're going to look at covenant. Because covenants, covenant, the biblical covenant, covenant with God, makes us, allows us, causes us to walk in victory spiritually and in this world. It doesn't say there aren't going to be trials, but it says God will be faithful. And it's what he demonstrated through his covenants throughout of all scripture. The Old Testament covenants reveal who God is, his passion and desire for us. They point us to God's plan of redemption, which is fulfilled in the new covenant. And since God is faithful to his covenants, even when we are not, we can have confidence to relate to God as his children, his priests, and his bride. Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, 20, the cup, this is the cup that is poured out for you in the new covenant of my blood. Again, Jesus refers to the cup of the new covenant in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do, as this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Communion is a covenant between Jesus and us. Actually, it's not the covenant. It's the symbol of the covenant, if you will. But it's not just a symbol because these aren't just bread and wine. In some way, these are the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That when we take them in, we take in Jesus. We take in his grace. We take in his mercy. We take in his spirit. We take in his power. And we are empowered to live the life he called us to do. Let's begin this in uh, 1 Corinthians, in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, gave thanks for it, broke it, and said, this is my body which is for you. In the same way, oh, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. What does that mean? You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes again. It means that you are making a statement. Just like baptism is a statement of the old man dying and the new man being born again. Communion is a statement that we believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was true. And we are celebrating the new covenant that he created with his body, by his body, and by his blood.
Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would have not been judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with this world. So I ask you to take a second. Check your heart. There's nothing there that cannot be forgiven. It's your offering unto God. And if you have anything between you and another person, I'm going to ask you to withhold from the cup today. Go make that right. And then come back and receive the cup. Father, I thank you for the bread that somehow becomes the body of our Lord Jesus Christ in communion. Thank you that by your stripes we have been healed. And I thank you for the cup, Father, that somehow becomes the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that cleanses us of all of our sin, that washes away all of our unrighteousness, that makes us whole again, that restores our relationship with you, God, our Father. I ask you to bless these elements, Lord, that for us in some way they might become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't see any visitors here today, so we all know what to do. Everything's ready, so those who are serving, please come.